Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you in-depth interviews with the people behind the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, in London, and around the country. I'm your host, Variety's theater editor, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'll be talking to Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty, the longtime songwriting duo who won a Tony Award for their score to Ragtime and who are about to have two shows running simultaneously on Broadway. Anastasia, their musical about the lost Romanov princess that is partially based on the animated film for which they also composed the score, and Once on This Island, a new revival of their 1990 musical fairy tale set on a Caribbean island. The songwriters are in the studio with me to talk about those two shows and more. Lynn and Stephen, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's our pleasure, Gordon. Yeah. It's been more than 25 years since Once on This Island debuted. What's it like coming back to it now? It's it's like revisiting an old friend who's suddenly grown a new face. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. Sure. It's it's you know a beloved show of ours. We 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 think we got this one right, mm-hmm. and um, to see it in a, such a new incarnation in the round with um, you know all these new accoutrements, it's it's stunning and exciting and and a little scary. It's I, I, I'm really thrilled to be able to finally see this in. In a circle, it's really about storytelling, story circles. Uh, I've, ne- I've only seen the show in a proscenium, and uh, I don't even think I've seen it in, in a thrust. So the the uh, configuration at Circle in the Square, I think, is going to make it really special for the audience, and it, it sort of has an interactive quality in a certain way. So it's uh, it's it's exciting. Just uh, just the physical space alone is is going to be really interesting to, yeah. to experience. Are there any parts of it that feel particularly resonant now as opposed to then? I was wondering, for instance, if the setting feels particularly powerful given the hurricanes that recently mm. sort of battered those uh, those islands. Well, yes. I mean, there's. <laughs> I woke up this morning and I heard about one natural disaster and after another all around the world. And you know, this is so focused on on that kind of phenomenon. And the other thing is that the Michael Arden has chosen to set it in the present, basically. So, or close to the present. Michael so, Arden is the director. He's the director, yeah. yes. And, um, you know, in, in, in all, in that way, it's, it's very relevant and, and very contemporary. And of course, you know, with the divisions in our country and the divisions around the world, the whole, the whole subject and message of the show seems like now's the time. Now's mm-hmm. the time we need the, the show. Do you feel the same way, Stephen? Is there anything else that lands with particular resonance for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Actually, the the original novel, which is called uh, "My Love, My Love" uh, or "The Peasant Girl" uh, by Rosa Gee, uh, it's it didn't really put it in a particular place. It was more like a, a fable, and the original production sort of was that. It wasn't in a particular time or a particular culture, and um, I, I think it's I think it's really resonating strongly now. Uh, for, for for example. Um, uh, our uh, God of Water, uh, Quentin uh, Earl Darrington plays uh, Agwe God of Water. Uh, in the middle of our workshop uh, this past uh, September, uh, the hurricane was about to hit in Florida, and his family lives there. So he had to immediately run down to Florida, get his wife, his three kids, his mother, his father. They had to all get into a van. They had to migrate north you know, before it, it hit his community. And uh, the fact that he's playing this God of Water who can you know, cause this sort of havoc and then it actually strikes his own family. I mean, it's, it's absolutely, 
I mean, in that particular case, so resonant. And, you know, it's about uh, communities trying to survive and communities trying to survive uh, so, so many things. But, you know, it, it is set uh, at, in, in, in a storm. Right. And so is is this production set in on a particular island? Like, is it, for instance, Haiti or or? It's more Haiti than anything else. Okay. And it's more Haiti than it's ever been before. Yeah, interesting. It, it, it's never specified. Um, you know, it's on an island, uh, the jewel of the Antilles, you know, right. that, that sort of thing. But I do think that Michael is drawing very heavily on Haitian culture, Haitian mm-hmm. ritual. Um, he went down there. He went to Haiti and had apparently a life-changing experience, uh, not only just being in the in the um, country and, and seeing the people, meeting the people, but uh, he went to uh, several ceremonies and he did auditions down there for Timoons and that sort of thing. So he got immersed in that, and I think it's very close to his heart. And it sounds like, I'm getting the impression that on your end, in terms of the mm. score you and the book, uh, you are not making any significant changes to the musical itself. Is that correct? And that's, the, no, go that's ahead, correct Steve. in terms yeah. of the score, uh, in uh, terms of my work, rather, the okay. lyrics. I, I think I might have adjusted one line here or there for Michael, but basically it's the same. Well, okay. it, it, yeah. it was funny. We, we were thinking you know, we would keep the score, we would keep the, the text the same, but, but actually in, in our recent workshop, we actually did tweak... Uh, a small connective bit, you know, and it was and it was sort of exciting to have a new I- idea about the piece after 25 years, you know, and uh, it was off a suggestion of Michael. So um, that that was exciting to work in this little section. But uh, really, the big changes are in the how we are telling the story. Uh, our original orchestrator uh, of, the, of the production uh, at Playwrights Horizons and at the booth uh, back in the day was Michael Starobin, and he's with us again. But uh, he and Michael developed this really interesting idea that uh, what if everything had been taken from you? How could you still tell your story? What if uh, everything had washed away from you? Is it possible to tell your story with just your body, the human voice, and with with whatever object you might find at hand? So the notion of creating uh, some of these instruments out of junk and having the actors actually play them uh, was something that really excited me. The idea that you could create something of beauty from what is essentially discarded materials. Yeah. And so, can describe the pit for me. What, what, well, what are the, well, well, we do have no, a, we, we do have a rhythm section. There's no pit though. Well, yeah, Lynn says there, there's there, no there pit. There is no pit in that theater. No, there's a, no. There's a pile of rubble in there on the top yeah. of it. Yeah. I guess that's true. It is Circle in the Square. Where's yeah. the pit? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're that's mostly a good point. On, a, on on a truck that sort of got thrown, yeah. you know, in the wake of the storm. So so the band is up in the air. And uh, we're, we're not relying on electronics the way that we did in 1990. Uh, back then, you know, we were doing all this, what we thought were cutting-edge keyboard sounds at the time, which now sounds totally vintage. You know? <laughs> so there will be no Fender Rhodes in this production. There will be no, like, Wurlitzer organs. Uh, instead, it's not, it's not really uh, Once on this Island unplugged, but we're getting much more to uh, an acoustic sound. And then we have the, the actors playing a variety of interesting things from tubes that create uh, wind sounds to uh, a a scope bottle that's made into uh, a small ocarina, uh, all sorts of percussion things. Uh, um, Our our two little girls, by the way, are phenomenal musicians. They're both nine. Who plays the two little girls who play the young uh, main character. And the the one is a a keyboard virtuoso, and so she plays keyboard in the the pre-show. Wow. And and the other other little girl is... uh, (laughs) 
Uh, she's been playing cello for six years, which is amazing. She started at three. <laughs> How old is she? She's like, I, I, be- I, I believe nine. she's nine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so the, uh, uh, this uh, instrument in, inventor, a friend of Michael Sterbin's uh, named John Bertels, he created her uh, a, a cello out of pieces of trash. Wow. And so she's, for the pre-show, she plays her cello. And, and uh, it's just the idea that you're creating things and creating rhythm and uh, supporting a story with found objects. And then in, in addition to that, we're also doing much more with the human voice. We're back in the 90s, uh, for example, a piece of underscore, if it were uh, synthesizer patches. We're now creating the synthesizer patches using human voices. So uh, there might be like series of 10 to 14 voices underscoring, and it sounds electronic, but in fact it's done with uh, just the human voice. And all the all of the the new exciting vocal work is by uh, Anne Marie Malazzo, who's done. Uh, she's she's a wonderful vocal arranger and designer, and she'd done uh, the original S- Spring Awakening and Next to Normal and uh, many other really uh, cutting edge shows. So we're, we're having a great time collaborating uh, w- with these folks. Right. Let's rewind a bit and talk about the creation of the musical. The show, as you mentioned, it's based on a 1985 novel by Rosa Gee, who's a Trinidad-born American writer. Mm-hmm. How did you discover the novel, and how and why did you decide to turn it into a musical, Lynn? Um, we had just come off Lucky Stiff, mm-hmm. which is a farce. Mm-hmm. Was that your first musical, Lucky Stiff? It yeah. was no. the first produced musical, okay. other than a children's musical that we did with Theater Works USA, just to be fair. Right. That, that yep. was our, really our first produced. But Lucky Stiff was the first off-Broadway. Uh, and, you know, farce is hard. It's like a little machine that keeps biting you in the behind and going faster, funnier, faster, funnier. And, you know, you're exhausted at the end of the whole thing. And um, we were looking for something that was a little more emotional, a little more sweeping. And uh, I went on one of my reading frenzies. You know, I'd go find books and just read and read and read and read and looking for ideas. And one day I was in uh, Barnes & Noble in the days when there were Barnes & Noble yeah. on every corner, <laughs> yep. sadly. And they had used bookshelves even. And I would go through the used bookshelves and I would try and find something that was, you know, unknown and and kind of um, interesting, but also, uh, you know, p- perhaps easy to get the rights to. And I pulled a little, very slim little volume off the shelf. It had a tattered paper cover and it was quite colorful looking. And I opened to the very first page of it and it said, there is an island where rivers run deep, where the sea sparkling in the sun earns it the name Jewel of the Antilles. And I thought, this is beautiful and i ran home with it i paid a dollar 50 for it and i ran home and i read it in about an hour and i got so excited and i got a cab and i took took it over to steve and i said here's our next (laughs) musical it just seemed like a musical just you know front and center uh it wanted to sing so that's that was the genesis of the project did how much does the story of what we see on stage which is kind of a fairy tale and also has elements of romeo and juliet um how much of what we see on stage is what's in the novel? How much did, uh, how faithful are you? I would honestly say we're very unfaithful. Mm -hmm. And if you read the novel, you'll see that the, the core of the idea is certainly there. You know, the young girl who defies her parents and her village and goes to find this young boy that she's saved in a car wreck and, and rescues him. But there's, there's, um, there's a whole center part of the book that 
is very, um, I won't say sketchy, but it's, it's episodic. She meets another little girl in a tree and she sends her home to take care of Mama and Tauntaun. And she keeps going and she meets someone who gives her a pair of shoes and someone else who gives her a comb and someone else. And it, and we got bored with that yeah, section. I said, to, I said to Lynn, there's it, no payoff for these characters. You really care about the central story of her and her parents in the village. Yeah. And, so, and her romance with the boy, but you don't care about that middle third. So we actually wrote a song called Some Say that basically talks about the middle third of the book. It, she could have, this could have happened, this could have happened, but it doesn't really matter what happened. The fact is that she made it to the other side. So we, right? we, we took a lot of dramatic license with about yeah. a third of the right. book there. And then the ending of the book is so glum and sad and, and devastating, really. Um, Timun dies. Mm. Um, someone reminded me, I haven't reread the book mm. recently, and I maybe I don't want to now because they reminded me that at the end of the book she's dragged from the from the um uh the castle if you will of the Bozom her arm is dislocated she's thrown by the side of the road uh she, she dies she's you know the the garbage trucks come and pick her up you know the, they cart her off and a giant storm envelops the island and, and that's the final and, image oh, wow we, yes and we thought hmm that Spoiler, that's, that's not how the musical ends. It's yeah. not how yeah. the musical yeah. ends. And we, <laughs> we, we made it a lot more uplifting and universal and, and joyous than that. So, you know, we, I guess it's Maury Yeston, my pal Maury, always says, you know, when you're adapting something, you take your source material and you kiss it and you hug it and you hold it to your heart and put it under your pillow and sleep on it. And then in the next morning, you take it out from under your pillow and you stomp all over it. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what we did. We love the genesis of it. We love the original novel, you know, for what it is and... We made it something new. And it, it, it's sort of like a, a retelling of the Little Mermaid story. And so right. uh, I, I said to Lynn, I said, if I were a theater goer and that was the, the ending in a theater, I would crumple up my playbill and fling it at the stage. You know, it, I, it didn't feel that it was the right ending for our, our show. And uh, a friend of ours said, well, you should look at the original Hans Christian Andersen story where uh, she's she's blessed and there's uh, there's a miracle that happens. And we began to think maybe we should have a miracle ending. And then when we finally came upon the idea of what that ending would be, then we wrote backwards. And and we uh, left little clues throughout the story. So whenever the, the moment does happen, it seems You're unexpected yet, yet mm -hmm. inevitable. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. It comes out of African folklore, actually. Yeah. Oh, ending. interesting. Yeah. You know, the world was a very different place in 1990. And right mm -hmm. now the theater industry is very, and in fact, the entertainment industry at large is very concerned with issues of diversity and authenticity. Whereas here with Once on this Island, it's a show set on a Caribbean island with a Caribbean sound and a cast of non-white actors, but it's created by two artists whose backgrounds seem very different from the characters and the place where they're telling these stories. Have you thought about that at all in terms of... I, I, it's I, never how, occurred to me. Yeah, really? No, really. I'm kidding. Yeah, I, <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 actually, I actually struggled with it originally when we were creating it. I wanted to make sure uh, that I had... Yeah, I wonder. I was you... the person to write this, and that I had the, the you know, the right to to tell this story. And it was interesting at the time. Uh, there were a lot of, not a lot of, but there were several artists that were were experimenting with world music and uh, using those techniques in their own music. Um, Paul Simon had just come out with Graceland, yep. and I, I found that an absolutely thrilling uh, album. And uh, the the music sounded like Paul Simon's music, but yet it used these elements uh, in a very interesting way. And when we were in the early days talking about the possibility of uh, this as a stage musical, I thought it could be really terrific and interesting to use world music elements as uh, 
an important part of creating a, a theater score. And uh, since it wasn't set in any one culture, I didn't feel like that I was, you know, cult- culturally carpet bagging uh, any one place. You know, there were elements of uh, Afro-Caribbean. Uh, there were actually elements of uh, American gospel in a certain way. Uh, there were South American elements, uh, samba, certainly. And uh, I, I sort of used all of these different things, but with my own musical sensibility to create this world. But yet at the same time, I guess this, this is just me being a Catholic boy. I guess I was waiting for somebody external to give me permission to be able to write the score. And at the, at the time, I was a rehearsal pianist downtown at the Minetta Lane for Blues in the Night, which was a, a musical review of American blues uh, singing. And uh, I would play the re- rehearsals. And then uh, during the 10-minute break, I would work on a little snippet of Once on this Island. And uh, Carol Woods, who's one of the all-time great uh, African-American theater singers, uh, she, she came up to me and she goes, w- what's that you're playing? And I said, oh, it's, it's nothing. She goes, no, you were playing it yesterday too. And I go, oh, it's just something that I'm working on. And she said, well, it sounds so fresh. It sounds like the islands. Uh, it sounds like the islands to me. And, and I said, oh. Oh, and in some way, I felt like Carol Woods had given me permission to to write something that was uh, not necessarily of my own culture because it felt authentic, it felt real. And uh, after that, I just I just ran towards the idea. I have realized that I don't know how the two of you met and how you started collaborating. Oh, tell, well, tell me, yeah. tell me oh. your story. Well, yeah, I I, I, <laughs> I I came to New York City in the fall of 1982, and I just had turned 22. And I w- was uh, accepted into the BMI workshop, which is sort of a mixer for lonely composers and lyricists. And at the time, I was writing music, book, and lyrics. And uh, I, I met Lynn in that program, in that class. And uh, uh, Lynn had also, at the time, uh, she had previously written music as well, but uh, she was focusing uh, as a lyricist primarily in the class. And uh, it took me six months <laughs> to ask her to, to write a song together, you know? Well, he was writing his own lyrics and music, and yeah. I was working with different composers because I, I thought see. that my, the five... Were you speed... Da- is it like speed dating a little bit? A in little terms a of tiny sort bit. Of is, actually. A little slower, slower. but the yeah. same yeah. principle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but... Um, uh, and at the end of your date, you have to present yeah, a song. Yeah. I had, right, I had right, been right. writing, you know, for children's television and stuff, and I, I knew about five chords, and I had a whole career in jingles and children's television, schoolhouse uh, rock. I, I didn't know that. You didn't? Yeah, oh, I'm yes. Right. I guess I'm the, I'm the Klondike bar girl. And yeah. all that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I would, would always admire this very shy, serious young man across the room, but he was doing his own thing, you know, and I, he never even said hello to me, to be honest. No, I was, I was like, he really? was so shy. I was frightened to talk to people pretty much then you yeah. know and at the yeah. end of this first year of you know speed dating um we were all standing out on the sidewalk chatting about something on 57th street in, in front of the old bmi place and Stephen went running up 57th street and he got literally halfway up a long block and he turned around and he screamed back at me lynn do you want to write a song together yeah did you ever, did you ever <laughs> have that moment where you can feel the hairs in the back of your neck and you know if you don't turn that your entire your future is going is... to be different. And I saw so yelled down the he block. yelled at me. <laughs> and it was the, the very last song. And, and so we wrote a song together. And it, I, I don't think it's a particularly it good, good. good song, but we loved the process. And we fun. had like a lot of fun. And yeah. Lynn is very much different than I am. She's much more like an improv kind of gal. And she would just sort of throw things and see what would stick. And then, you know, write from there. And I, I usually would write like a monk would write. You know, I'd put myself in a little cell in a very solitary kind of bubble and, and score everything, writing everything out. And it was like an entirely new way for me to work. And I think 
over time, we sort of came to the middle. You know, I understood the way she worked and leaned towards that, and she understood the way I worked, and, you know, it was, it was very exciting. Is there a show that you have notably butted heads on? Every show? <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the thing that I find ex- exciting about this. You know, the, that's the whole point of collaboration, you know. If, uh, it, through interaction and the exchange of ideas and cross-pollination of ideas, that it brings you to a place that you wouldn't have gone on your own. That's the whole point. Otherwise, just stay at home and, you know, write your novel or do, yeah. do whatever. I think I, I will, I'll just do a PS to that. I think the first show we ever did, Lucky Stiff, as I mentioned before, we had written a pretty much a whole version of that show and we workshopped it at the Dramatist Guild. We did a presentation there for a very illustrious panel. And one of the panel members, um, who shall go nameless. Yeah, don't bring up that name. I won't. Oh, no. Started, okay. started okay. <laughs> screaming at us that we were nothing but effing Sondheim clones and that this show is unproducible, undirectable, and, you know, ridiculous. And, okay. and it was and, impossible to have it, it exist on it, a stage. Right. Yeah. Wow. And we went away, and we didn't exactly butt heads, but I, I, you know, from it doesn't matter who tells you something that makes sense to you. And I said to Stephen, you know, I, I, it was so obnoxious, and yet I think we've overwritten the show completely, and I yeah. forced him in a certain way. I, I said, we've got to just make it sillier and funnier. I, I and realized that, that we, had written, we had written a witty show when it wanted right. to, to be like a wacky show. That's right. You know, and so, so it just got wilder. We pared it down. Um, even, even the opening number, uh, uh, this is one of the few times that she says, you know, I think the lyrics are right. I don't think the music is setting up the correct tone for the evening. I never say that because I love his music, yeah. but and, I and felt so, that. So as an interesting exercise, I threw, you know, threw away, uh, the opening number, but keep kept the, the text and, uh, uh, it, it became, clear that i needed to set up this is this is a, a farce this is a comedy and it also has underpinnings of murder mystery and what i had done before is i was setting up this is a murder mystery and there are underpinnings of comedy so i actually flipped it wrote a completely different melody set it in, in a completely different rhythm oddly and uh, that became a, a song called something funny's going on which really set up the entire evening and once we had done that it, it became clear how the rest of how the rest of the yeah. show should go. We threw out the score and, and wrote a completely new, new score. score. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And what are you two working on now? What's coming up next? Well, we're, we're, we're looking at a script. We're, <laughs> we're looking like, at a script. Yes. We're, we're, yeah. We're looking at a script. That's all we can say right now. You're looking at a script to musicalize for the stage. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It was, it was, uh, it, it was written or adapted by a dear friend of ours who yeah. we've worked with in the past. Yeah. We don't and, have anything. Let's put it this way. There's nothing in the hands of producers. There's nothing like that. We, we really just came off Anastasia. Now we're in once on this Island. I happen to be doing lyrics and lyricists in May, and I'm trying to prepare a two-hour show for myself, which is like climbing Mount Everest. And wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have a yeah. lot on on the collective plate at the moment. Yeah. But and, and this <laughs> and this uh, past Sunday, we did a, a concert version of um, My Favorite Year, which is a, a show that we yeah. had premiered in Lincoln Center Theater at, in 1992, and that was that was one of the ones that I felt was of everything we've done, like a, a big almost. It's the show had sort of gotten away from us tonally. And so we've, over the years, gone back to it and we've written uh, new songs and our collaborator, the book writer, Joseph Darty, he had written new scenes. And uh, we we did this one one night, uh, two concerts uh, evening and it, and it took... <laughs> 
took so much so, so much so work exhausting. and focus to make it happen, but it was wonderful. And you know, we'd we'd love to see that go further. Yeah. It's a it's a terrific show. Do you ever work separately on musicals? Have you when was the last time you did that? In- um the last time I did it was uh, for A Christmas Carol, which I wrote with Alan Menken, and it was done at uh, Madison Square Garden for 10 years in a row. I think it was 1994 to 2004. And we re- did rewrites on it every year for 10 years, you know, with Mike Ockrand and that's Susan Stroman. That's great that you got 10 years of pre- 10 previews. 10 years <laughs> of previews, literally. Yeah. But, and that's the that's the show I would point to that I've worked separately. Stephen's done a couple of things. I, I, I wrote a show with uh, Frank Galati, who is our uh, director from... Uh, from Ragtime, and uh, he's a, he's obsessed with the life and works of Gertrude Stein. So we did a show in uh, Chicago. How could I argue? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean the hard the hard thing is that Gertrude is that, you know she's a tough collaborator. She will not give you that extra sentence or that extra syllable or the pickup syllable that you need. She will, she just won't do that. Yep. So uh, we, we did it at uh, a show called Loving Repeating that was at the. Uh, the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art and uh, w- was produced by About Face Theater in Chicago. And uh, it, w- it was a wonderful experience. When, when was that exactly? That was probably maybe 2005 or 2006. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it was actually just done two weeks ago by NYU students uh, at the Provincetown Playhouse. And that was the first time I had really gotten to witness the show. And it was actually written for young people. So seeing people in their late teens, early 20s do the show again was wonderful. And, and then I had done a, another show uh, at the Old Globe, uh, I guess, two years ago called uh, In Your Arms, and it was a dance musical. Oh, yeah. So there, were no, there were no... Yeah, there were no lyrics to that. There, that there, yeah, yeah, it, was, it was pretty much, yeah, 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 10 short stories by 10 different playwrights, right. and Chris Catelli, uh, the choreo- choreo- uh, choreographed and directed the piece. Right, right. But in general, it seems like the two of you are in it for the long haul. Yeah. It seems together. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty-four years. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's. I guess it's like a good marriage. You know, you're you always fear that there will be that one morning where you have nothing to say to one another over over <laughs> breakfast. And like, and luckily, uh, you know, we're both very inquisitive people, and you know, and we, you know, we do things as well on the side. You know, Lynn writes uh, fiction. She's been writing fiction and I didn't essays. Know that. Yeah. 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 yeah, and she, she has her own interests. And I, you know, write the occasional you know concert piece or you know song or. Uh, dance music on the side and it's it's good because you have new interests and you bring new stuff to the table and you know I can't imagine us not having yeah. something to talk yeah. about I know I it's like that. no the world no. is too full of a number of things yeah, what yeah. is that Robert Louis Stevenson yeah. poem yeah I think that's a great place to end this thank you both for being here I really appreciate it Thank thanks you for so having me we'll see you once on this island when it comes yes. Yes. when it opens look us up we'll yeah. be in the back row taking okay. notes okay <laughs> I'll look for you I don't know is there a back row there there is a back okay. row okay I don't know oh, if there's yeah. but it's all or... around yeah. yeah so everyone can see everyone you taking can see notes you taking those notes of your show yeah alright thank you guys thanks that was Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty the composers of Broadway's Anastasia and Once on This Island, which begins previews November 9th and opens December 3rd. On the next episode of Stagecraft, I'll be speaking to Ayad Akhtar, the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright of Disgrace, whose new play, Junk, is now on Broadway. Until then, see you at the theater.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.